thank you very much for, for having me, for, for bearing me. It's an honor to be here. Please turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20 as we are studying the Ten Commandments. But why don't we start off with a word of prayer. Father, we come today to your word and we approach it knowing that the word of the Lord is perfect, that your law is good, and that it instructs us in the way of righteousness. And Father, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us in your word, that Lord, for for myself, that I would be a herald and not an interpolator, that Lord, I would proclaim your word, and that Lord, we would all be receptive to what you would have to say to us. So we thank you for your word. We thank you to We thank you for your faithfulness to us. So we ask that you would be glorified in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to start in verse 8, looking at what's called the, the fourth commandment, if you're counting. Let's start in verse 8, Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is in your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The title of our message today is Rest for God's People. And this concept of rest out of all God's commandments may be the one we think, oh, we, we have it, maybe. We, we, maybe we, we're dealing with idols sometimes, or maybe we sometimes place someone else before God or something else before God. But the fourth commandment, I think we have it because we're good at rest, right? Because we're in 21st century America, and we, we have monopolies on rest, right? We go on vacations, we have seven-day work weeks, or, or I'm sorry, five-day work weeks. We have two days in our weekend. But when you press a little bit further, you realize that what we call rest is really just kind of a, a form of recreation. It's, it's vacation. It's not, as they say in England, it's not really necessarily holiday. We take vacations. We go out. We do things. And while that's good and it's fun, you look at all the things that we do, and they're all recreation. They're, they're doing things. They're busyness, if you will. We go and go, I don't know, motocross riding. We go and have recreational vehicles. We go and take flights. And all the recreational things, I don't know, you see in um, those Turner's Outdoors and places, there's guns, there's canoes. People like to do those things. Those are all good things. But we have to ask ourselves, are these really rest? Are these good answers to the distress that's in our souls? Is it something that we really need? Are we giving ourselves the rest that we need? And if we look from here in the 21st century back to where the Jewish people came from, the Israelites, we understand they were not at leisure. They were not at the, they didn't have the luxury of picking a timeshare or looking up flights online. They didn't have the luxury of saying, oh, what are you going to do this weekend? Because if you remember, they were in slavery. 
In Exodus 20, um, the preface to the Ten Commandments, if you recall in verse 2, I am the Lord your God, God is speaking, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Scholars believe that in Egypt, the Israelites under slavery um, worked about a 10-day week, and we understand that they probably didn't have any breaks at all. And in fact, they cried out so much that God noted them and God remembered them. We see them distressed in the land of Egypt. We see them never getting rest. They were in slavery. They had no weekends. They had no Sabbath. And now out of Egypt and now being delivered by God out of slavery, God decides to take this time to show them true rest. And it's a Godward rest. And so in verse 8, we notice something interesting about the commandment of God is that first of all, it's positive. It's not a thou shalt not, but rather it's a thou shall you shall remember the Sabbath day. But notice that when God's giving them a command to rest on the Sabbath day, which we'll talk about in a little bit, he doesn't just say rest. First, he tells them to remember. And so maybe we can think, oh, okay, I remember. I remember the Sabbath day. Maybe you're all obeying the Sabbath because, oh, we remember it. We remember that it is a thing. But it's more than just remembering it recalling it in our minds that it exists as though we would remember, okay, I, the Titans, the Alamo, I remember the Sabbath. It's, it's something more than that. It's remembering as in living it out in the way we might say we observe something. We're, we're saying more than, oh, this is what we see. We're saying we live it out as though, you know, whenever Washington's birthday ends in the Uh, lands in the middle of the week. It's usually observed the following Monday. Observed in that way, celebrated. In the same way, when we remember something, we're celebrating it. And that was God's command to them, remembering. And also note that it happens in the heart, first of all. It happens within them. So God tells them to remember the Sabbath day. And the, the other thing we should note about this direct command is that not only is it remembrance, but it's also based in holiness. In remembering it, not just for its own sake, but in an effort to keep it holy. To, to live it out and to set it apart from everything else. Holiness is a character of God himself. And it simply means to consecrate it for special use. Don't treat it as common. Don't lump it in with the rest of the days. Set it aside for the use of God. So holy, keep it holy. And so we have the commandment, but what does it mean? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, God helps us out with the fourth commandment a little bit more as he describes the proper practice of the Sabbath day. What does it say in verse 9? It says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. So first of all, what does a Sabbath affect in the daily lives of the Jews? It affects their work. It affects their work, first of all. Because God implies in resting on the last day of the week, he implies working on the other six days. 
And so just as rest is part of the commandment, work is also the commandment. So the commandment implies the regularity and the dignity of the work of God's people. It sets apart one day, of course, but it structures the whole work week to redeem their work. It demonstrates that God is not Lord of one day, as people might say today. Oh, you know, I give God one day. I give God, you know, an hour and a half on on Sundays, if you will. No, God is Lord of the whole week. He is Lord of their work. But we should also note that the day of rest isn't intending to reward them for the good work that they've done. It doesn't talk about necessarily the quality of work. It just simply commands work. Because we know that everything that the Israelites did, God was about to tell them um, in Deuteronomy 8.18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Everything that they did, even the power to get wealth, even the ability to work was a gift from God. You don't create your own success. It's all a gift from God. So when we look at this aspect of rest it's not a reward for a job well done hey good job you get a day off no the work is a gift from God and also the rest is a gift from God so the the practice affects their work but it also affects their rest by the absence of work that's how God is defining this rest And even though the commandment is a positive command, remember the Sabbath, God describes the specific day by telling them what not to do. He tells them, you shall not do any work. And we come to understand that the word Sabbath itself simply means to cease, to stop, to stop working, to celebrate, or to rest. God is saying six days you can work, but on the seventh. Pencils down, cease and desist, stop everything. So every work week for the Israelites, God's commanding them to rest at the end of it. So you get up on the first day of the week knowing that you're going to work and you're going to find rest at the very end. But it's a very specific kind of rest. It's a God-word rest. It's a rest to, to God. Notice in verse 10, there's an interesting sentence structure. It says in verse 10, the, sa- the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's to him. It's something they do to him and toward him. The work week proceeds with anticipation of the rest that they'll receive from God. So they don't provide their own rest. It's all a gift from him. It's all a gift from the great giver. And in fact, God had kind of trial, run, trial ran this practice of the Sabbath before we even see it explicitly commanded, as we, as we call it in the, in the Ten Commandments. Four chapters before now, we see in Exodus 16, verse 29, if you want to turn there with me, God says, See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Two days. So God is providing provision, even back then, for them to experience the Sabbath. And the practice of the Sabbath right here shows that God is kind of floating them for one day. God is giving them an extra blessing on the previous day so that they might celebrate complete and total dependence on him on the seventh. 
God is the provider right here. He, he's giving them food. He's giving them manna in the wilderness. He's the provider of both the food and the rest. God provides it all on the Sabbath. And they were supposed to learn on this, his, this day that God was the ultimate provider of all their needs. Third thing, third way of life, realm of life, it affects the, the specific commandment, is that it affects their community. They celebrated it corporately. They celebrated it t- together as a team. It, the Sabbath is to the Lord. There's a relationship there. But it's also celebrated with family, with servants, with travelers. If some guy happened to be on holiday inside the people of Israel, inside the nation, inside their gates, and he was around there around the time of the Sabbath, he was also required to celebrate, to observe it. And even the livestock even the cows, the oxen, and the sheep get a rest. Isn't that amazing? You sometimes wonder, like, you know, when you have a dog and you get them a Christmas present, you kind of sometimes wonder, I wonder if they realize it's Christmas. Well, right here we see the animals even celebrating and observing the Sabbath. So they keep each other accountable to keep it. The idea of a community celebrating it is that if anyone's not celebrating it, they should be brought into the flock, they should be kept in check, and they should be kept accountable. And here we also might be prompted to note the grace of God even extended to the lowliest creatures. People in the stratum of society who weren't really even recognized as people, slaves, different people from different walks of life, from kings to the servants, everyone celebrated the Sabbath. And it gives them dignity the dignity of ceasing from work. So, we also note, interestingly, that a community was identified and distinguished by the Sabbath observance. In verse 10, it kind of notes the sojourner in your gates, so that this type of people, it separates them from everyone else, so that when you're outside the gate, you're, you're almost like outside the gate identifiably. You're, you're When you're inside the gate, you're part of the people of God, and all of a sudden you're identified as this distinct people. So it's God's way of separating the Israelites from every other nation on earth. This is a people that celebrates the Sabbath. But God's aim was loftier than, you know, just, you know, giving everyone a fair share, you know, giving everyone a one day off of, you know, raising servants to a a wonderful, dignified place. That's a good thing, but God's aim in the Sabbath was loftier than just what we might think of as, you know, human rights and, you know, a a six-day week or whatever. So we, we we have to look at the reason for the Sabbath. Why did God command the Sabbath? Well, it's based in the work of creation. The Sabbath was really one event, not once a week necessarily. It was celebrated once a week, but it commemorated and memorialized one event, which was creation. In verse 11, the commandment continues in its description. It says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And this event was so momentous, and God was at 
absolute rest at the end of creation so that in order to move his people, God's own people, forward into redemptive history, he has them look back at this moment. The world was created. Everything was hung in its perfect order. There was no disease. There was no grotesqueness about the creation. There was perfection. And for one moment, everything was at peace. And God says, I want you to remember this type of peace that I myself experienced. I want you to come into that type of rest. That's my goal for you at the end of every week, to celebrate this regularly. Remembering the Sabbath means remembering God as creator at rest after his created work. Before sin, before sin entered the world, before our disobedience started to ruin everything, when everything was perfect. And they could not make it holy by observing it. It was God who made it holy originally. And God says to keep it holy, to keep the set it apart, to always remember him on this day, on his day. So this is not about the situation, not about the relationship of people with their work necessarily, but most of all their relationship with a holy God and what they think about God and what, how much they trust God. So in summary, the whole commandment, the Sabbath brings people, God's people forward into anticipation, number one. Number two, together as a people, it brings them all together as a community. And number three, it brings God's people toward himself into uh, relationship. So the whole idea of the Sabbath is that God is bringing a people to himself to understand what true rest really is. And we later understand that this is a commandment that God took very seriously. We, we saw last week about what happens to a kid who, who blasphemes the name of God. Um, this week we'll find out something just as interesting. If you want to turn with me to Numbers chapter 15, um, verses 32 to 36, on how seriously God takes the Sabbath, specifically how seriously God takes Sabbath-breaking. So in Numbers 15, starting in verse 32, it says, While the people in Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. So this guy was exposed before the whole congregation. And they put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. And who's going to put him to death? All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And what what did they do? They stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. God took this commandment very seriously. And he wanted it enforced very seriously. Because working on God's special day, on God's day of rest, was an affront to God, was profaning a holy event. And not resting, it's it's being restless in the presence of God's divine gift of rest. It's not accepting the gift, and God takes that very seriously. 
Another passage we might note um, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 27, about Sabbath observance. The Jewish people were at Jerusalem, and they were dealing with the threat of many nations. And God is focused on this in verse uh, 17, I'm sorry, chapter 17, verse 27. But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy, and not to bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and shall not be quenched. That's a serious matter. It's a serious sin to violate the Sabbath. Being stoned to death and having your entire city burned, those are the kind of judgments that the Sabbath breaker faces. And so we have to ask why. What was the aim of the Sabbath? Why was this thing so serious? Something so leisurely as rest. Why does God take that so seriously? I mean, come on, lighten up. You know, it's supposed to be rest. It's supposed to be relaxation. What is the long-term, God's long-term plan in the fourth commandment? Well, there is common, what we might call common grace in the Sabbath. There are immediate benefits in the Sabbath. There's a benefit of rest, you don't have to work on the seventh day. There's the benefit of a seven-day week as opposed to the Egyptian ten-day week. That must have been tiring. And there's very other, various other benefits, letting servants rest. We talked about human rights. There's also a, a later law in, um, I believe it is in Leviticus, about the, uh, based on principle of the Sabbath, by letting the land lie unfollow or lie, lie follow, that you aren't going to deplete the soil of it. You just let the land rest itself. So there's various other benefits, and we can say now, it, you know, as a 21st century society, oh, those were really good things. There are so many healthy benefits to the Sabbath. But really what God was trying to accomplish in the Sabbath was not just immediate benefits, not their rest immediately, not their health and wealth, but a special dispensation, a special um, issuing of grace, a special benefit as fulfilled by Christ. The Sabbath was supposed to be, to the Jewish people, a delight. Um, In Isaiah chapter 58, verses 13 through 14, um, you don't have to turn there, I can read it real quick, but it says, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, then you shall take delight in the Lord. The delight that people were intended to experience in the Sabbath by stopping work, by stopping everything, the delight they were intended to experience was God himself enjoying God, seeking pleasure in God, seeking the fulfillment that God brings, the gift of rest that he brings to them. The Sabbath is a delight. True Sabbath is fun. It's pleasurable. But more than a literal date, the Sabbath is intended to teach us a spiritual state. And we see this, um, if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 4, we see this explained by the author of the book of Hebrews. What Sabbath really is. What God isn't trying to accomplish through the fourth commandment, what God is instructing us in. In verse 3, 
um, Hebrews 4, verse 3. It says, For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted. And he quotes a psalm, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. God's instruction by enforcing the seventh day of the week was not supposed to teach them that this day, nothing can happen on this day. It's rather a spiritual state. Are you relying on God for your rest Are you relying on God to answer your deepest, restless heart's needs? And the Sabbath instructs God's people towards spiritual rest in Christ's redemptive work. So that God was teaching them that at the end of his work, this is what happens. He rests and he invites them to share in that kind of rest. Oh, and so in the same way, when Christ came to earth and accomplished his redemptive purposes, what are those? Dying on the cross for our sins and rising again from the dead, declaring his lordship, that work. We're supposed to rest in that work. We're supposed to rest, to trust, to rely in, to abide in the work of God. And so we see this played out in the contentions and the controversies that Jesus had when he, when he was walking on earth and getting into controversy after controversy on the Sabbath day. In uh, Mark chapter 2, we see this controversy appear. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and um, 28. They were talking about, uh, the Pharisees were saying, your, your disciples are eating on the Sabbath. They're, they're plucking grain. And they're eating. And why are they breaking the Sabbath? Why are they doing these things? And Jesus said to them in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. There's two things going on here. The Pharisees were treating the Sabbath day not as a relationship between themselves and God and trusting God. They were treating it as a relationship between themselves and their work, their own works, their own personal righteousness. And even though they weren't doing work, you know, they weren't carrying a burden, they weren't picking up sticks, they were flexing the muscles of their hearts of pride. And they were thinking that by their own works, they could reach true rest and they could reach true satisfaction and peace with God. And God 
God is telling them, no. God is telling them that the Son of Man, that Christ Himself is Lord of the Sabbath. That it's not their tradition, it's not how they think they should celebrate it, but the Sabbath is really about resting under the Lordship of Christ. I would like to turn to another um, more explicit picture of that in John chapter 5, verse 17. where Jesus makes a great declaration. Because there's a question that might have come up in your head when we're talking about the Sabbath. Is that God, okay, he rested on the seventh day, and he told his people about that. He told his people about that commandment. But was God truly at rest when he gave that commandment? Was God at rest through this history of redemption? We see the answer in John chapter 5, verse 17, about the inner counsels of God. And Jesus answered them on another controversy of the Sabbath. He had healed a guy by a pool, and the guy had taken up his bed and walked. And so the Pharisees were saying, he's carrying his bed. He's breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus uses that illustration and uses this moment to direct their attention to the work of God. He says in chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. So even though this Sabbath day was going on, Jesus is saying there's a greater redemptive work, there's a greater work that's going on right now, and I'm not going to stop until it is complete. So God is at work here to bring us to a final rest. A final rest. So, all this information, stonings, burnings, what do we do with the Sabbath? Because there's a lot of confusion in the church. Is it, is it today? Well, why don't we celebrate it on Saturdays? Because that's the last day of the week. And you see there are Seventh-day Adventists who, who believe, okay, we're, we're celebrating the Sabbath because that's what, what God commanded. So we're going to do it properly on Saturday. But is, is that correct? What's the answer? How do we respond to this commandment? How do we apply it to our lives? Stonings, burnings? Well, I'd like to take our application, what we're going to take home with us today, from Matthew chapter 11. Some words, some comforting words from the Lord. He says in chapter 11, Verse 28, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So in the midst of all this confusion, we might experience and we might have in ourselves like do we obey the sabbath do what what how do we exactly obey it we should understand that the the key to the sabbath is the heart of it and the original key to the israelites was their heart remember he told them to remember remember the work of god and so for us the first thing we should note is that we should find our sabbath rest in Christ alone. Number one is to rest in God, or number one is to know that rest is God's gift to all that come to Christ in faith. 
when we come to Christ, when we come and believe in him, we rest in his works, not our own. We can't earn that rest. We can't earn our way to heaven. We rest in his accomplishments. We rely completely on what he has done. That's how we commend the Sabbath. Notice the command that Christ gives, come to me and I will give you rest. We should rest in submission to the Lordship of Christ. And so this is our call to Sabbath rest, true rest in Jesus. There's a, a Puritan by the name of Thomas Shepard who, who kind of likened our, our rest in Christ to someone who's in a wilderness and they're looking around for a place to rest and they see a cold rock on which to rest, and they think to themselves, well, is this rock necessarily meant for me? You know, am I, am I supposed to be sitting on that? No, they go straight to the rock because they understand that satisfied, that satisfied their current need for rest. In the same way, responding to Christ's command for rest is simply to rest in him, to believe in him, to have faith in him. Oh, do I have to do, I have to do all these works? Do I have to be a good person first? No, you just simply come to Christ and you'll be at rest. You'll be at peace with God. And secondly, we should note that rest is not the end of the week for Christians, if you will. Rest is the beginning of our practice. And this kind of gets into the more... Um, practical issue of do we celebrate on Saturday or do we celebrate on Sunday? And so first of all, we should note that when we're talking about Sabbath rest, do we meet once a week? Do we meet on Sundays? Is that our intention simply to rest as God commanded the Israelites? No, our rest in Christ is every day. We are at peace with God through faith. But alternately, why do we come on Sundays? It's because our command is to worship regularly. So if, if you're kind of struggling with, am I, am I obeying the Sabbath? If I miss a Sunday every once in a while, note that the Bible doesn't prescribe you should go to church on Sunday. It doesn't say that. But what it does say positively is that we should be in continual gathering and continual fellowship with other Christians in a local church, that we should be in covenant not only with God, but with each other. And you can note that in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. So secondly, we should ask, is the Sabbath simply about going to church? Well, if it were, we wouldn't be here today. We would be celebrating on Sunday if we really wanted to. I mean, sorry, we'd be celebrating on Saturday if we really wanted to obey the Sabbath to the letter. But the reason we're here on Sunday is because the church started to meet on Sunday after and following the resurrection of Christ. So we're not lowering the standard for ourselves. We're raising the standard by saying Christ has given us rest. Let's, let's commemorate his resurrection from the dead. Let's commemorate the first day of the week because there is new creation, there's new life, and we are at rest in him. So let's come for worship. And so um, theologian Andrew Lincoln, um, to quote him, he says the primary focus of the Sabbath day for the Israelites was abstention from work, was refraining from work, but the observance of the Lord's day centers in worship of the risen Lord. So what if you miss a Sunday? Is there a stoning going to happen? No, the Bible doesn't exact a day from you. It rather, and I guess more vitally, exacts your whole life. Remember, the worship of God is a heart issue in remembering the Lord, and it calls you 
to a local church, into regular fellowship with God's people. And lastly, the application for us is that we can be encouraged that rest is God's promise for our future. In the chapter we read in in Hebrews, it, it had this great tension of you're at rest now in Christ. You're entering into Christ's rest. You're entering into peace with God. But he says there also is a rest in the future. We are still awaiting rest in God so that all our struggles today, knowing and and obeying God and trusting in him, lets us know and encourages us that we will be at rest at the end of all things. So what I would encourage you, if, you're, if your heart is kind of prompting you here, if you feel restless, if you feel really distracted by things today, then let us fellowship with you. Let us pray for you so that you can find rest in Christ, so that you can depend totally and fully on his satisfying work. So why don't we pray? Father, we are thankful for your word We are thankful for your commands. And Lord, we understand what the psalmist means when he says we love the law and that the law is perfect because we understand it's for our good. So we thank you for these borders. We thank you for these places that show us where our heart truly should be so that we can be right with you and that we can find true rest in the works and the satisfying atonement of Christ's death and resurrection. So I ask that we would have a greater picture of him in our own lives and in our daily practice. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.